Good morning, assalamu alaikum <clears throat> to those in the western part of, of planet Earth. And uh, good evening to those in uh, Riyadh and Muscat and uh, Doha and, and other uh, Arab capitals of the Gulf cooperation countries and um, the 15 other Arab uh, countries in the Arab region. My name is uh, Dr. John Duke Anthony and I'm the president and CEO of the National Council on US-Arab Relations. <clears throat> we have the distinct pleasure today of having a webinar in the age of technology and also coronavirus 19. We, <clears throat> one has to be inventive uh, with the degree of science available to allow us to communicate in spite of these challenges. <clears throat> Today's focus is on Saudi Arabia. Now, when people think of Saudi Arabia, it depends on who they are, but they think of uh, different things depending on their knowledge. Uh, if they're reasonably well-informed, they think of Saudi Arabia in terms of a mighty uh, reservoir of hydrocarbon fuels of oil and gas. <clears throat> there's no denying that, and there's no apologizing for it either, because this is the fuel that uh, runs the engines of the economies of all of the world's countries, large and small, big and new, and those in, in between. But one also thinks of Saudi Arabia as an Islamic country, which it is. Uh, it has within its borders, the two holiest places in Islam in terms of uh, Mukarama and Medina al-Munawa, uh, Mecca and, and Medina. And 1.5 to 1.7.5 billion Muslims uh, have annually made it their tradition uh, to go to Saudi Arabia uh, for the Hajj, for the pilgrimage. Uh, the total number of Muslims pushing uh, two, 2 billion at, at this time and increasing. It's the fastest growing of the three monotheistic faiths of Judaism, <clears throat> Islam, and Christianity. But one thinks of Saudi Arabia also in terms of its size. It it's, uh, can be likened at times to a continent more than a country. And indeed, it has 13 neighbors. Uh, only uh, Iran with 11 neighbors comes close. And so the kinds of realities that Saudi Arabia faces, lives in, has to deal with are, are not negotiable. These are fixed geographic, geopolitical, nation-state uh, realities, forces, factors, and phenomena. In addition, uh, Saudi Arabia is wrapped up in, in the region's diplomacy, in its geopolitics, and along with its regional defense. Uh, so I've named about six aspects of it right there. But little known to most outsiders is Saudi Arabia's role as a provider of humanitarian and charitable relief for the world's less fortunate, for the maimed, for the halt, for the blind, for the wounded. And over the last uh, uh, nearly half century, Saudi Arabia has contributed just uh, under $7 billion, just under $6 billion uh, to something like 85 countries. And working not unilaterally, but in conjunction in association with 175 uh, partners. And this aspect of the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States uh, not only is unknown, but it, it needs to be better known and appreciated. And uh, observers need to be aware of this uh, extraordinarily unique role. That is to say, if one relies only on the mainstream media one would see that the relationship is laced with tension and conflict. Well, there's tension in most relationships. Friendships have tensions, marriages have tensions, and relations between nation states have tensions as well. Uh, but with the Biden administration, um, it's distinct and unique in uh, a couple of ways because it's become personalized. When uh, Biden was running for president, he made references to Saudi Arabia as a pariah. And those words have come back <laughs> to haunt and hunt him. 
they're making it difficult for him politically to welcome uh, the king of Saudi Arabia or the crown prince uh, to Washington as an official guest, guest, or to even think of going to Riyadh himself as the guest of the kingdom's king and crown prince. And yet, would he think differently or might others think uh, in an alternate way if they saw that Saudi Arabia is not necessarily locked into uh, a winning relationship with the United States uh, with which there can be no amendments. That is to say that there are increasingly references to there being an, an Asian option or an Asian alternative because of the opening of Saudi Arabia to a greater degree than before, which is not recent, it's just more recently focused on by the media uh, to China and, and Russia. And this has in part to do uh, with uh, uncertainty regarding the stability and security of the relationship between the kingdom and Saudi Arabia, which now is going on 80 years. It's hard to uh, point or pinpoint another country with which the United States has had as long and arguably as mutually beneficial and as reciprocally rewarding uh, as the relationship the United States has with Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> Nor is it difficult to imagine another country than Saudi Arabia being a country with which many other countries, if not most other countries, would trade places with the United States if they could only win, derive half as many benefits as the United States has derived all of the, these years. But it is the humanitarian and the people-to-people -people, uh, dynamic that's missing in people's awareness and appreciation, knowledge and understanding and information and insight about what the Saudi Arabia is, what it does, where it is, what it has, and what are the implications if anyone were to have a close relationship with the kingdom and begin to have discussions about moving away from that close relationship. Uh, Dr. Abdullah Rabia has headed this humanitarian and charitable relationship with Saudi Arabia for decades now. He's world famous. He has no competition in terms of separating conjoined twins or what in the vernacular sometimes is referred to as Siamese twins. No one comes close to the dozens of successful operations separating conjoined twins where both halves have a full life in front of them as a result of Dr. Abdullah Rabia's expertise. This is his fourth occasion to appear before a national council audience, which numbers in the thousands. And we are appreciative of having you with us again, Dr. Rabia. And we have uh, Colonel Abbas Dahouk, who will moderate this session, uh, who served under three consecutive U.S. Secretaries of, of Defense in the last uh, quarter of a, of a century. And there's no American who has been as intimately associated with the kingdom's elites and heads of state and rulers uh, than uh, Abbas Dahouk. He's a former teacher of Arabic and Persian Farsi at the United States Military Academy. And he's been the political military affairs advisor at the US Department of State, in addition to being the defense attache and the attache for the six DCC countries in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, we can begin with uh, Dr. Rabia whenever he's ready. Dr. Rabia. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Uh, John uh, Duke Anthony. I highly appreciate your introduction and uh, nice comments, and also greetings to uh, uh, Colonel uh, Abbas and also Patrick. And I want to start by saying good morning to those who are watching us on the uh, morning time zone and also for those who are in the East, uh, uh, good afternoon and to some of them, good evening. 
starting on the introduction that uh, uh, our friend uh, and colleague, Dr. John Duke Anthony mentioned about the openness of Saudi Arabia. I echo uh, uh, his words, uh, and Saudi Arabia is a country that is open to the international community. But in spite of that, we value uh, 80 years of friendship and ties with the people of the United States of America. This uh, uh, friendship uh, and, and partnership with the US has included the political, uh, economic, educational, health, and humanitarian, and many other uh, ties that we hope those ties will continue to uh, develop and expand. And uh, Dr. Uh, Anthony, Anthony mentioned rightly that uh, we should not forget the humanitarian side, which is evolving uh, quite uh, widely. We are one of the uh, known humanitarian body in, in the region and beyond. And also the US is actually one of the top global humanitarian actors. So this partnership has started to expand and also friendship and ties between uh, USAID representing the US side and KS Relief representing the Saudi side. I will uh, take your permission to start a PowerPoint presentation. And after that, I will be more than happy to uh, also to listen to your comments and questions and, and uh, dialogue. As you know that our slogan is towards an unrestricted humanity, which actually goes with the international humanitarian law that our humanitarian work in Saudi Arabia does not link with political, military, uh, religious boundaries or any other uh, motive. Our, we care when we help the human uh, being uh, in any part of the world. Slides are okay. Now, Saudi Arabia, over the since 1996 till today, has invested more than uh, 94 billion US dollars in 164 countries, and uh, I'm sure this number is is actually uh, to the low side. I'm sure if we calculate the non-governmental aid, it will go much much uh, higher than this uh, number. Now. Over the last seven years, uh, uh, His Majesty, the custodian of the two holy uh, mosques, King Salman, has established uh, a humanitarian arm for Saudi Arabia, which is King Salman Humanitarian Aid and Relief Center, which is uh, abbreviated in KS Relief, with a vision to become a leading center for relief and humanitarian activities, and also to transfer our values to the world with a mission to manage and coordinate the relief activities on international level to ensure uh, a provision that goes with the, in line with the national interests of Saudi Arabia. Now, we care about governance. Saudi Arabia is, is keen to ensure that the humanitarian work of Saudi Arabia is not utilized for other purposes. That's why we have strict governance uh, in KS relief uh, including actually external auditors and also uh, uh, external financial uh, observers uh, and also good internal financial control. KS Relief has many branches outside Saudi Arabia, uh, mostly in Yemen, Somalia, Jordan, Indonesia, Turkey, Afghanistan, Lebanon, and uh, Pakistan. And also we work within the 12 humanitarian clusters or sectors that I'm sure all of you know them, including food security, health, volunteering, nutrition, education, logistics, recovery, shelter, protection, and, and many other uh, initiatives. Our core values are important, impartiality, transparency, quality and professionalism, uh, and also being initiative and creative 
and building partnership and supporting communities. We believe that partnerships in humanitarian work is the way to go forward. This center over the last uh, seven years have managed to reach 84 countries in four continents. And I'm sure the map is clear to all of you that it has no boundaries and it reaches most countries in need globally. These are the top four countries that we work in as we speak. Yemen comes on the top, Palestine, Syria, and Somalia. But that doesn't stop us from working in 84 countries with a budget that has exceeded uh, or approached six billion US dollars over the last seven years. Now, women and children are focus of our work. We believe that if we actually empower women and also support children, we will help communities to stand on themselves. And that's why we have most of our uh, projects directed to women and children, and we have managed to reach more than 113 million women globally. And also we managed to reach over 146 million children globally. Also, we believe in uh, transparency and also building initiatives. And that's why we, uh, His Majesty directed us to have the Saudi aid platform, which is open for anybody who wants to see uh, a well-authenticated and actually audited uh, uh, humanitarian work of Saudi Arabia, which is live on the internet, and I'll come to that shortly. And also we have portals for volunteering uh, donations and also uh, the visitors or, or refugees. We call them in Saudi Arabia visitors. We do not call them refugees. Now, this is the platform I mentioned to you. And you can enter it from anywhere in the world by just entering data.ksrelief.org, which actually audits and authenticates all the humanitarian work of Saudi Arabia globally. Also, we believe in, in, in actually incorporating the youth of Saudi Arabia in the volunteer work. And we all, always tell them that volunteer with case relief and make a difference. And in that, we have managed to also receive many of the medical cadre volunteering with us, doing a lot of noble work. For example, the volunteer medical campaign to combat blindness and also the open heart surgeries in poor countries for children and adults, including catheterization by volunteer, uh, highly skilled uh, doctors from Saudi Arabia or other partners. Also, we have uh, surgeries for, for, for the children and, and so on and so forth. But in addition to that, we believe that supporting refugees and also IDPs is important. I'm sure all of you know that there are over 83 million refugees globally. Now with the Ukraine uh, crisis, I'm sure that has reached 90 million refugees and, and more than that in, in terms of IDPs. And that's why Saudi Arabia shares its, its burden by uh, having one uh, over a million of refugees, which we call them visitors in Saudi Arabia. They come from either the Rohingya minority from Myanmar or Syria or Yemen or other nationalities. Also, Saudi Arabia believes in incorporating the, the society in the donation. And that's why we have started in the last two years the public donation platform where <laughs> businessmen and also ordinary people can donate in a specified project or the general projects of KS Relief. I'm sure uh, Dr. Uh, Anthony mentioned the uh, effect of COVID-19, and Saudi Arabia has actually been working uh, uh, heavily through KS Relief to help countries in need. More than 33 countries have been helped uh, to combat COVID-19, and we have invested over 850 million US dollars to help poor countries uh, in Asia and, and Africa and elsewhere. Even in the vaccination uh, program, we are working with both COVAX, Gavi uh, Alliance, or also on a bilateral basis 
to help uh, those countries who ca cannot access or don't have the capability to have vaccinations. And uh, so far, we are helping more than 30 countries to receive vaccines and be COVID-free. Uh, and also, we believe that if you want to be safe, the world has to be safe. Also, uh, excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, we believe that initiatives are very important in humanitarian work. And that's why KS Relief has uh, initiated a demining project. We call it MASAM. And this project is in Yemen, helping more than eight provinces of Yemen. And will continue to have Yemen uh, mine free that has harmed many children, elderly and women. And this program uh, is actually run by uh, our staff and partner uh, uh, NGOs. One of the initiatives that have, I have many times mentioned it, which is noble, is, is the uh, reintegration of children formerly associated with armed uh, conflict. We call it Kafak. And as you all know that Yemen, especially the Houthis, has recruited uh, thousands of children to be in the front line of the conflict. And as you can see in the top uh, photos, they recruit them by giving them the narcotic gut and they give them, uh, they make them armed and give them guns. And we take those children with the help of our partners and introduce them to both educational and also psychological and social programs so that they will not be a threat to the world in the future and they will become back as a reasonable, effective children and a future for the country of Yemen. Also, we support children in nutrition and also in health. And also we believe that the future for any country is education. And that's why we invest a lot in the ed educational programs for the targeted countries so that they will have a generation that will be able to build up their countries and go beyond being receiving aid. We believe in women, protecting women, supporting women, and also investing in the skills of women will build up the family and thereby building up the society. And that's why uh, many of our projects are investing in women and protecting women so that they will not be the victims of conflicts globally. These are some of the projects that we do for many women that uh, are becoming part of the victims of, of conflicts. And we believe that empowering women with the help of our partner UN agencies, that will actually open the future for them and their families. Also, as, as a doctor, I believe that conflicts brings uh, many amputees most of them are children, uh, old people, or women. And that's why we have invested in the artificial limb projects that will not only provide a surface, but also will train local people and also uh, uh, bring a bright future for those who have lost their extremities. These are some of the examples in Yemen, and we do them in Syria and elsewhere that uh, are needed. And one of the also countries that we have received a lot of attention over the last a few years is Yemen. We have invested and implemented 702 projects with a budget that are exceeding 4 billion US dollars through KS relief uh, only. Uh, and through the country, we have invested more than 19 billion US dollars uh, in Yemen. Uh, we abide with the international humanitarian law. We are totally impartial in Yemen and we work with 80 partners uh, in Yemen. And these are the uh, clusters and projects that we work in Yemen. They have a diversity that will help Yemen is based on needs. Also in Yemen, we concentrate on women-focused projects and the protection and well-being of women, and likewise for uh, children. One of the things that disturb us in Yemen is the violations against humanitarian actions. Unfortunately, the Houthis have violated uh, all the international laws against humanitarian work, not only for KS relief, 
but also for UN agencies and international NGOs. And you, you have seen they uh, go by targeting humanitarian work, by stealing, by detention, by hindering. And we hope that the uh, ceasefire that is happening now will extend and we will see better access for the north of Yemen. These some of the violations that are affecting civilians, uh, as you can, the picture is, is self-explanatory that putting uh, anti-graft guns over civilian buildings is, is against uh, any international law. Also the landmines that has uh, actually uh, left many of those Yemeni poor Yemeni peoples people without either uh, legs or arms or, or both. Also, schools and hospitals have not been uh, left in Yemen. They have been uh, targeted, and many schools and hospitals either been utilized uh, by, by the armed militias or has been targeted by the armed militias. We actually, KS Relief does not only work in the region, we believe in, in global humanitarian action. And as you can see some of the examples, we work in all <laughs> regions of Yemen, irrespective of who controls the region. So as much as we work in the South, we work equally in the North with the help of our valuable partners. We also have invested a lot in Syria and supporting the refugees in Jordan, Lebanon, and, and uh, Turkey, and we hope that the conflict in Syria also will stop, stop sooner than later so that the people of uh, Syria and the refugees will go back to their homeland. We also are uh, active and present in Sudan. We are also active and supporting the refugees <coughs> in Djibouti. As you can see, we give them a decent uh, shelter with air conditioning, uh, uh, decent water supplies, uh, schools and also uh, places to, to rest and, and live uh, quite nicely. We also work in Pakistan, we work in Indonesia, and we have also supported Japan when they have a natural disaster and our staff are on the ground. And also we are present in South Africa and also we are supporting the refuge Syrian refugees in Greece. And also one of the examples that shows the humanitarian partnership with the US. And this example is an example that to be followed by other countries. We have started with USAID uh, uh, rehabilitation multi-purpose cyclone shelter with the help of WFP with uh, equal uh, actually funding from USAID and KS Relief. And this pro project, which we actually are proud of, has helped more than 87,000 to have a decent shelter uh, in Cox Bazar for the Rohingya minority uh, uh, that are suffering the worst because of the conflict in Myanmar. This is some of the field work between the staff of KS Relief and USAID on the ground. And this is another picture for uh, our partner staff from uh, USAID. We value partnership and uh, I'm proud, Dr. Anthony, your picture is here uh, when I was physically present in the first presentation. And likewise, we value the visits of our valuable partners who have uh, either visited us on, on the headquarters and we hope to see you all soon or those who have managed to visit them uh, in their headquarters. Dr. Anthony thankfully has mentioned uh, the conjoint Saudi conjoint uh, twins programs, which uh, our government has put that program as one of the models of uh, uh, specialized humanitarian programs. And I am uh, proud to be part of this program. And this program, like all of our humanitarian work, has helped countries from, uh, sorry, uh, conjoined twins from 23 countries uh, and uh, three continents. And as you can see, you can see this is one of the largest uh, conjoined twi twin program, helping 122 uh, conjoined twins 
from 23 countries, but these are some of the examples that uh, have been challenging for us. The Sudanese twins uh, that were separated in 1992, the uh, Filipino twins that were separated in 2004, and the Polish twins from Poland that were separated in 2005. You could see now they have uh, uh, became an adult. And also the Cameroonian twins uh, that were separated in 2007. And we just received last week another set of twins from Yemen. And the week before we have received another twin from Yemen. And a month ago, we have received another twins from Egypt. So as we speak, we have three sets of conjoined twins waiting for their uh, separation uh, in Saudi Arabia to be part of our medical humanitarian uh, programs that is delivered by uh, Saudi Arabia. Also with the US, we are proud to be part of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, life and livelihood project that is targeting three, uh, 33 countries, members of the OIC, OIC and those countries. This project is actually meant to take societies from being direct relief dependent to be self-sufficient by investing in the recovery and development of societies and uh, communities. These are some of our valuable partners. And uh, in summary, excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, we so, uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia plays a leading role in international humanitarian work. And we believe in the importance of the Kingdom's humanitarian work in supporting its uh, international standing and the role of humanitarian work in resolving conflicts, achieving stability and sustainable development is very important and usually forgotten. And lastly, we really value the partnership between Saudi Arabia represented by KS Relief and the United States represented by USAID uh, is an ideal model for increasing the impact of humanitarian work on the ground. Before I uh, thank you, I want just to bring your attention that one of the initiatives of Saudi Arabia towards uh, improving the humanitarian work is to host the Riyadh International Humanitarian Forum, which is meant to engage humanitarian actors in discussions on challenges, opportunities, and also how to improve the field of humanitarian aid work. Also, we believe that without promoting scientific research and topics related to humanitarian work, we will not progress forward, especially with the existing crisis of shortage of donors and also the impact of increasing uh, prices uh, of uh, food and logistics uh, uh, for the humanitarian work. We, this actually forum meant to discuss new approaches and strategies to enhance uh, the uh, humanitarian activities and also to build partnership with humanitarian actors and stakeholders and encourage young people to participate in the humanitarian actions. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to draw your attention that the upcoming uh, Riyadh International Humanitarian Forum will be on the uh, 20 to, and 21st of February, 2023. And we hope our friends uh, uh, in the uh, US Arab uh, National Council will be attending this actually very important forum as part of our joint work. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Dr. Albia, <coughs> Dr. Anthony, you have, uh, thanks for the uh, presentation. That's very inform informative as, <coughs> as usual. And a good day to all our uh, uh, viewers, uh, near and far, and again, thanks, Dr. Anthony, for this uh, kind introduction. And good evening to you, uh, Dr. Rabia. This is the fourth time we actually meet uh, over the uh, KS Relief uh, um, uh, briefing and information. And I already see some of the progress. Uh, hopefully, the next time we meet, we'll meet in person. There's a lot. I think we're still under the COVID uh, COVID restrictions. 
Uh, one thing I would like to uh, start with, uh, just a global uh, uh, global look at things, and I, I have to uh, look at uh, see some some statistics here uh, written on the KS relief. One of them from the United Nations Financial Tracking System. This is uh, dated uh, end, end of 2021. That KS relief was ranked number one in the Arab world and number one in uh, number three uh, globally. So thanks for your uh, work on uh, on on the on the uh, center. I remember this uh, as you mentioned. The center st center started operation in May 2015. So this is a great uh, feast to, uh, from 2015 to be, to be ranked number three globally and number one in the Arab world. Uh, also, I noticed on your uh, uh, PowerPoint presentation last time you you touched uh, 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 lives and um, and uh, uh, 59 people in 59 countries. On this presentation, you mentioned 84. So that's another uh, another increase within that year. We basically expanded uh, uh, globally, and also your branches are also ex expanded. So my first question to you, just from the global thing, what have you, based on your experience globally? I know Yemen is uh, is a big part of the operation, and it has its own uh, complex uh, uh, programs. But uh, tell us a little your perspective, uh, compare and contrast different countries, different political, economic, uh, human uh, humanitarian uh, uh, issues there, from if you will. Thank you, Abbas, uh, for for the nice comments and and uh, and also your follow-up of the statistics of the center. Uh, well, actually, the what has changed from, from my last presentation, as you rightly mentioned, is the extent of the uh, international uh, involvement of KS Relief and also the expansion of the work and the varieties of the work. Uh, we are, are now working in many uh, countries in, in mid-Asia, uh, mid many countries in, in Africa the U Ukraine conflict and supporting the refugees in Ukraine. Uh, as we all know, uh, the world uh, after COVID-19 uh, with the economic crisis has added a burden on, on the uh, international uh, community. And uh, by adding that burden, we have seen more countries evolving as in need of humanitarian work. COVID by itself, has added another health burden mm. on, on many countries, requiring support uh, both in readiness and also in the uh, prevention and protection uh, side. So those taken all uh, together has uh, mandated that Saudi Arabia has to do more. And that's why our government has uh, directed the KS relief to, to expand its work uh, to uh, be present, to be active. But uh, let me tell you, Abbas, that uh, I think we are living in a world where we have to do even more in being creative. Uh, expanding alone and uh, delivering food and delivering uh, uh, medicines, and this is good, but it's not enough. I think uh, we have to think beyond uh, what we are doing now. We have to be innovative. We have to and maximize the impact of our work on the ground. And we have to be also very careful in our needs assessment so that we target, target those who are in need most. Thank you. Uh, thank you for a good answer. And uh, let me take you now specifically to the United States. Um, uh, in the United States, people and also people in the government, uh, uh, elected officials, whether in the administration or in Congress, as you know, the, the, just like what the Dr. Anthony mentioned about the relationship, the friendship with Saudi Arabia, it is important and, and people see it that way, people don't see it that way. There is different uh, perspectives on, on, uh, on Saudi Arabia. And there's also different perspectives on the aid in Yemen. Uh, you, you look at the narrative of uh, UN narrative or maybe USAID, they still uh, look at, uh, at Saudi Arabia uh, as somewhat hinders perhaps the military operation. We know military operation does hinder. But then you see uh, uh, members of Congress talk about blockage. We know there's no blockage on around Yemen, but there is a shortage in fuel. And that shortage, uh, even USAID, they said it's hindering the logistics and is also hindering the uh, reach into or, or, or uh, affecting the livelihoods of people there. So um, so how do you um, how do you square that? How do you you uh, explain that uh, that uh, and how do you do your business versus theirs? I mean, you have access the same access perhaps they have, but how do we how do you uh, 
you know, square that. How do you say, is it hurting? Is it there is actually, a, is the shortage of fuel by design by the, or is it, what is it? Is it for political reason? Is it political military reason? Or maybe some other reasons? So we have to explain that a little bit so people understand uh, the, why, how this is affecting the uh, the uh, the aid, and um, and um, uh, so help us help us explain that a little bit because on your side you also talk about what's going on, on the Houthi side. They talk about this. They steal some of the humanitarian aid. They they uh, they take uh, the uh, uh, humanitarian workers as hostage, or maybe they do all they shell, they they bomb schools and 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 hospitals and so on. So there's those two different lines, the two different narrative that goes on in there. Help us merge that together from your from your perspective. Very good question, uh, Colonel Dauk. Uh, I I really like the question. Let me uh, uh, tell you as a humanitarian worker. Uh, and I'll be transparent. Uh, first of all, uh, many people do not know what's happening in Yemen. Uh, and, and, and when they talk about blockade, well, Yemen has nine seaports and has uh, at least uh, from Saudi Arabia, three land ports and from uh, Oman, uh, at least two or three land ports. And uh, I can tell you that Saudi Arabia, uh, in, in all of the Yemeni ports, has not uh, do blockade and has worked with the UN, with OCHA itself, uh, to build up uh, a process of checking for the Hudaydah uh, and uh, other ports to ensure that the ports are open and used for humanitarian and commercial purposes. In addition to that, Saudi Arabia and the coalition has opened the land ports from Saudi Arabia. And those ports, which are between Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen, has been opened not only for KS relief, but has been opened also for uh, UN and other international partners. Uh, WFP has, has accessed it. WHO has accessed those ports. And many countries has, has come to us. Bahrain has sent its aid through our land ports. Egypt has sent aid through our land ports. So it doesn't make sense that we open our ports and we open our largest seaport near Yemen, which is Jazan, for the international community for humanitarian work, and then we block it inside. That's one thing. Secondly, that uh, those statistics about uh, uh, hindrance that I have presented in the power, uh, full uh, in the PowerPoint presentation are not my statistics. These are the UN statistics. And, and you can access them from, from uh, Yemeni authorities, you can access it from the UN. And uh, if we go back to the WFP announcement uh, two years ago, where David Beasley mentioned that he cannot deliver food in the North because Houthis actually are stealing more than 30% of the food supplies and, and uh, selling them in the black market. Uh, however, uh, saying this, uh, there are shortages. There's no question about it. And you mentioned oil. Saudi Arabia, if you go back uh, to the oil deliveries to Yemen, you will find the only countries which has delivered oil uh, to support uh, Yemen is Saudi Arabia. We have delivered oil. Uh, every year, we announce our deliveries, and only three weeks ago, Saudi Arabia has announced the delivery of uh, uh, oil to support hospitals, to support schools, to support uh, uh, commercial businesses. So we want to see Yemen stable. Now, conflict between Yemenis and especially the Houthis does hinder, actually, the work. And... Uh, also, the Safar, as you know, uh, Safar tanker in, 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 in the border of Hodeida. Saudi Arabia is one of the uh, top um, uh, donor and supporter to also handle and prevent the leakage of oil so that the economic delivery through the Red Sea will not be hampered. I can tell everybody who's watching us that the coalition has helped many countries to deliver their aid inside Yemen, at least through the south side. Uh, uh, and uh, there, there are some actually violations that happen in the south, but the coalition led by Saudi Arabia will always ensure that there should be no hindrance to the humanitarian work. 
and we have worked with our UN partners uh, and also the 80 partners that I presented to you. All of them have received support from the coalition led by Saudi Arabia. Uh, thank you, Dr. Abdullah. I did ask that because I, I read it in the narrative uh, everywhere, including uh, uh, USAID or UN, that uh, the fuel shortage is, is hindering their operations. And you're saying, I mean, yeah, they, they are getting uh, fuel through uh, other locations, also directly from the Saudi government through land, land uh, perhaps, uh, points of entry. I mean, uh, just having uh, been working with Yemen in the past, uh, it's, to do, uh, it's to the advantage of the Houthis to get something through Hodeida because uh, usually that's how you can smuggle things into Yemen. If you try to bring something through Saudi points of entry, they know they can't do that. They can't smuggle things through whatever is coming to the port. So maybe perhaps that's why the Houthis, Houthis, everything you bring from the north or from the Saudi side or the coalition side, they like to loot and make it hard to keep the other ports that to their advantage so they get able to smuggle thing, they meaning Houthi and perhaps uh, Iran and others. Thanks uh, for the answer. Um, uh, I'm gonna talk about, now back to Yemen again. I think there's uh, good news about Yemen that the government finally decided to leave uh, from, move from Riyadh to Aden. So at least now we have a government that can see their own people face to face. And we do have the truth, the truce since April 2nd, uh, still holding with minor uh, violations from the Houthis. And you have this, the new presidential uh, leadership council. Um, how, how is that working so far for you? Do you think, do you see uh, more, uh, more access now to, uh, to Yemen? Is, this, uh, is it uh, moving forward this way? You think, is that working better? Or not yet? Too, too, too early to call, too early to, to say. <laughs> well, uh, thank you again. Well, uh, I think the, the good thing about the, the new uh, uh, presidential council that has been announced and now working from within Yemen is that it's receiving the support of many uh, Yemenis that uh, we see it on the media and also on the social media. Uh, and also being in, the, in, in, in Aden and also overseeing Yemen will help uh, not only the humanitarian work, but also the economic, the commercial, the other parts, and also will help implement uh, Riyadh agreement. Uh, I think the, the, what we have seen actually uh, after the movement of the new uh, presidential council, that we have seen at least more coordination with the Yemeni High Relief Committee. We have seen also the willingness to be more open, more transparent. Uh, we hope uh, in the coming weeks and months that the humanitarian body in Yemen who will be dealing with the UN and, and other partners like Case Relief will mature enough to be uh, actually more transparent, more active, have better access, control of the access in Yemen. I'm optimistic that, uh, that this is moving in the right direction. Uh, what, is, what is limiting us is, uh, is uh, the hindrance from the Houthi militias to join this council and, and be part of it. Let's hope that the extension of the ceasefire will happen uh, in June 2nd, and then we probably hope that the Houthis will, will actually integrate it in the well-being uh, and stability of Yemen. Uh, that the only thing which we have seen which is positive, and we hope that is uh, a good start, is we have seen less escalation on the targeting of, of uh, Saudi Arabia and also uh, UAE by, by the Houthis. This is uh, a positive sign. Let's hope that this will happen inside Yemen. Thank you, uh, Dr. Abdullah. Um, a question on the, you mentioned the demining. This is a, that's a, that's a, a, a program of interest to you, to you and also the United States government, the USAID, they're very active on, the, on, on demining everywhere, and especially now in Yemen. And, uh, and I think your program is, is growing. I mentioned that you have about 400 people uh, working that program. Uh, could you, uh, uh, one thing we don't usually talk about, I mean, we, we have this large amount of mines that enter the country. Obviously, uh, Yemen does not produce or manufacture any mines. They're coming from the outside. And then we don't talk about the, uh, not just the smuggling of the mines, talking about the, uh, the origin of the mines. 
countries that produce these mines. Do you do you look at those statistics? If actually while you're doing things, do you keep up see okay where these mines are coming from and who is like made in where and so on? Well, uh, Colonel Daouk, I think uh, it doesn't need a, a lot of uh, intelligence or investigative power to to uh, pinpoint where they are coming from. Uh, to have two million landmines being planted in Yemen over the course of six years, uh, I think doesn't need a lot of uh, investigation. To have uh, more than 500 to 600 drones being brought to Yemen doesn't need a lot of investigation. And also to have long-range missiles uh, uh, over six or 700 in Yemen doesn't actually need a lot of investigation. And we know, and I, you know, a country that doesn't have food, doesn't have oil, and most of the people uh, are receiving aid, cannot manufacture a bullet. How about manufacturing high-caliber drones and long-range missiles? Uh, all of us uh, in the region know where they are coming from. The uh, collision led by Saudi Arabia has actually presented evidence to show that those uh, uh, harmful uh, items have been brought from a country in the region. And that country, uh, unfortunately, has been active in the instability of the region. Now, let's hope that uh, this country will realize the importance of stability in the region. Uh, for not only for Yemen, for Yemen, Lebanon, Syria, and other, uh, and Iraq, by the way. And uh, let's hope that they will uh, open their uh, arms to the region to be part of the stability and development of the region ra rather than being uh, active in the instability and also uh, internal destruction of those countries. Uh, and also their own people have been deprived from their economy. Thank you. Uh, on, uh, still one, one more question on Yemen. I think I want, I want to ask you one question on Lebanon. But on, uh, on Yemen, how do we, I know this, the uh, key performance indicators are an uh, uh, important part of everything you do now in Saudi Arabia, not only in the humanitarian aid and all sectors uh, in, in the country. So how do you uh, score uh, your access to, uh, to the north, the Houthi, uh, to the Houthi areas? I know your, your aid is, you don't discriminate where it goes but it, it goes up to Saudi. Do you have uh, like statistics a little bit or a little, uh, uh, what, what are you doing in the, in the Houthi occupied or Houthi, Houthi region? Well, uh, another good question, uh, Colonel Daouk. I think uh, statistics are very clear. We are doing very well in the North. Uh, uh, let me just give you uh, evidence by the uh, numbers, uh, 60 to 65% of our aids go to the north uh, mm -hmm. and uh, delivered by our UN partners. And uh, they can attest uh, to uh, the uh, more than uh, uh, 80 to 90% of that has reached those people uh, targeted by the aid. We also uh, totally finance uh, the main hospital in, in uh, Saada. We totally finance the operation of the main hospital in Hajjah. We have uh, supported uh, uh, many uh, children who are sick from the north, including Sana'a, Hajjah, Sa'ada, including, by the way, uh, Colonel Daouk, the conjoint twin program. We mm. have received during the conflict five children from uh, Siamese twins. Three of them are from the north. So Saudi Arabia is actually... Uh, working uh, 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 impartial in Yemen, but our delivery in the north, uh, to to the best of my knowledge, has been actually, I would say, very good. Thank you. Well, quick question on, on Lebanon. There is no there is no uh, war or conflict going on militarily, uh, but you know the political situation there and the economic crisis, the uh, 230, 40% inflation, and unemployment and uh, so on. But recently they have elections. There is a, there's a, 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 
a, um, a, 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 a small piece of hope, at least on election. They weren't elected. There was some uh, movement uh, uh, that way. But the rest of the, the situation uh, remains the same. Still, uh, political actors are the same. And you have a branch in Lebanon, and you, and you provide some, uh, some aid. Uh, so how is uh, your work in Lebanon? How do you rate uh, your access? And what are the obstacles you're seeing right now in, uh, in Lebanon? And what do you hope to see in the future? Well, uh, well, what I hope to see is stability again in Lebanon, political stability. I'm not the right person to talk about politics. I think uh, our foreign, foreign ministry has stated their uh, standing point, but I can tell you that we want to see stability in, in Lebanon. Political stability, uh, Colonel Daoud will bring actually economical stability uh, and also uh, better well-being for the people of Lebanon. However, uh, that did not uh, preclude uh, KS relief from being active in Lebanon uh, during uh, uh, the last uh, few years and few months and, and few weeks. We have been uh, working to support uh, both the Syrian refugees in Lebanon, the Palestinian refugees in Lebanon, and the host communities who are in need. We, ha as you know, uh, during the disaster in the port uh, of Beirut, we have been also one of the fairest uh, actors when to help people in, in, in Lebanon. Recently, Saudi Arabia has agreed with France on a joint humanitarian project. And uh, I can tell you uh, next week, uh, uh, humanitarian uh, actors from uh, France are visiting KS Relief to also plan uh, a well-structured humanitarian project uh, for the people of Lebanon. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Rabia. Any any final? I think uh, I think we're reaching uh, our top of the hour. Uh, I, I, I would like to, if you have any final thoughts you want to, uh, or before that, I would like to uh, probably give it to Dr. Anthony uh, to give us our, uh, if you have any question or uh, final thoughts. But that was a good uh, good uh, good interaction, and I think. Um, we have to work on uh, try to uh, 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 write the narrative on uh, what chaos relief is is uh, really doing in, in Yemen and around the world. Uh, even if you look at the uh, at the websites of the uh, UN or USAID, they list all these organizations that they work with, whether World Food Organization or, or others. I still don't see chaos relief listed there as a partner. Uh, uh, organization but i know you're even at least in yemen you mentioned that you have four billion dollars already uh, invested in yemen usaid about 3.9 i think according to their site so you're doing a lot of great work we appreciate what you do in in uh, yemen and in the other countries and uh, hope to see you soon in riyadh inshallah dr anthony yes uh, thank you uh Dahouk, uh colonel Dahouk, and uh, dr rabia <clears throat> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's so much to be gained from listening uh, to uh, the essence, the uh, statistics, the facts, the percentages, the dates that something began, and the achievements of, of these efforts. Uh, these do not occur in a vacuum. <clears throat> these happen because of enough good efforts by enough good people seeking nothing more than enough good results in an area that cries out for results on the humanitarian and charitable fronts. And the average American person who's sometimes been polled in the streets and asked, uh, what percentage of the American budget do you think goes to help the world's less fortunate? You have answers from educated people who should know better that say, oh, 15, 20%. Some will say 25%. Uh, people think it's a typographical error when you say, no, 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 it's less than 1% of America's gross national product, the United States being the wealthiest country by far in the world, some $23 trillion a year generated in its gross uh, domestic product. China, the number two that everybody thinks is overtaken uh, the United States and the rest of the world, uh, is a distant uh, second place at around 19 trillion. So four trillion in between number one and number number two. It's similar with regard to Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> that so many people see Saudi Arabia as an object, something to be influenced or controlled or manipulated. Or worse, 
something to have nothing whatsoever to do with. And you have members of Congress, both on the Senate side and the House of Representatives side, uh, who are appealing to uh, misinformation, disinformation, and just uh, ignorance on the part of uh, large percentages of the American public who want to back away completely from Saudi Arabia to have nothing whatsoever to do with these fail uh, to at least see half the picture that in addition to being an object uh, where people insist on referring to Saudi Arabians as those, as them, as other, or wide men in Arabic, Saudi Arabians are actors, they're forces, they're factors, they're phenomena that cannot be ignored or must not be ignored if one is to be responsible, if one is to be factual, one is to be truthful, one is to be ethically and morally uh, uh, on target with regard to the reality of the reality. And realities are stubborn things. They have implications for policies. Now, looking at and listening to what Dr. Rabia had to say in the slides that he shared with us, these are hard to come by. I would challenge any American to go to their library after this presentation say, could I find statistics and publications and data to back up what I just heard, which was a fascinating presentation, the likes of which I've never heard from Dr. Abdullah Rabia. Do you have anything that I can see on Saudi Arabia that will lead me to greater knowledge and understanding about this? The librarians and 99.9 tenths percent of America's librarians would in essence say, I don't know what you're talking about, or we don't, we don't have anything other than Encyclopedia of Islam and uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, World Book, Encyclopedia, basic information on Saudi Arabia. And we have some CIA uh, publications on Saudi Arabia. But what you're asking about, this humanistic side, this charitable side, this philanthropic side, uh, I assume you're serious. But uh, no, we've not heard of this. So, I mean, this alone, Dr. Rabia, is a great uh, humanitarian ser service so that people have greater information and insight without which their capacity for effective and critical and responsible analysis is lacking, is absent, or it is uh, heading towards a recipe for disaster. So just think in terms of the international cooperation that Dr. Rabia focused on. He mentioned the United Nations. And of course, we have the gamut of United Nations, uh, Save the Children Fund, uh, refugees, uh, humanitarian uh, outreach, uh, dealing with matters pertaining to violence, extremism, and militancy. How many people in America, could you say, uh, would think that Saudi Arabia and the United States are not adversaries, not en enemies, not other. There's an usness here. Um, he pointed out, as did Colonel Daouk, about uh, KS relief, uh, cooperation with United States Agency for International Development. This is America's primary uh, uh, economic and material assistance program for the world's less developed people. Uh, the fact that the US and Saudi Arabia or like the Siamese twins or the good joined twins joined at the hip is something Americans are unaware of. In other words, Saudi Arabia on this is pulling more than half of its load and cooperating with others. And the recent reference to uh, Colonel Dahoke's question about working with France and Lebanon and focusing not just on Yemen, which uh, receives somewhere around three quarters uh, of the total of the humanitarian and philanthropic work because of its intensity and its extensive dynamics and, and dimensions, but also those of the Syrian refugees in Turkey and inside of, of Lebanon and the Palestinians in Gaza and the occupied territories and in Lebanon and Syria and, and elsewhere. And the, another aspect that he underscored in passing had to do with matters pertaining to elemental human dignity. Uh, Saudi Arabia is 
alone almost in the world and not referring to what others refer to as refugees. To be a refugee in the international community or certainly under the United Nations umbrella, you have to go and register at an office or with some UN uh, official. And then you, you bear the stigma of having been a refugee, of someone who couldn't care for themselves, let alone their family, their children, their spouses, their elemental needs of shelter and food and security. Uh, that Saudi Arabia focuses on this aspect uh, and instead calling these people visitors keeps the dignity of the visitors, which is what they are, and allows them where possible and the opportunities exist to compete for openings in the job market, to have their children go to school like any other children and have their children be treated in the hospitals with medical care and healthcare services like citizens. Uh, this is an example that would be well uh, emulated by other countries, including the United States. And so there's much that we can learn from this presentation, sir, and we're indebted to you. We wouldn't be able to have such a rich discussion and presentation without you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Colonel Dahoud, for moderating this session. And we wish all the best to everyone and look forward. Thank you, Dr. Anthony. Thank you. I, I would like to just, just if Dr. If Dr. Rabia has any final thoughts, we didn't ask if you have anything to tell us before we uh, we just uh, exit here. Well, Dr. Rabia. Uh, uh, Colonel Dawook, I think I want to close by uh, really uh, thanking uh, uh, Dr. John Duke Anthony and thanking you and thanking Patrick and all of us who are those who are watching us, West and East, North and South. Uh, I really enjoyed this invitation. I thank the uh, US Arab uh, National Council. And uh, what we have presented today is something related to uh, a work which is noble that is being delivered by countries like Saudi Arabia, like the US and other donor countries. And I wish that those donor countries will not be left alone. There are many wealthy countries that we know them and they have, as mentioned by uh, Dr. Anthony, they are very wealthy countries that very rarely uh, become in the top 10 donors. And we want to see more donors so that we will alleviate the suffering of human being. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this very much and we hope to see you physically soon. So do we, sir. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you very much. Thank you.